Good morning. I'm so glad that you are here. You don't have the coronavirus, as far as you know, right? So, but if you want to find out where the experts are, go to Twitter. Because I've learned this week, Twitter knows everything about coronavirus and everything else. Uh, It's a beautiful resource for all of the uh, questions that you have about anything in the world. Uh, I want to get to know you just a little bit, and and here's how we're going to do that. I'm going to ask a question, and if this applies to you, you raise your hand. It's just that easy. Uh, It'll be short. Um, How many Star Wars people do we have in in the room? Good. Harry Potter people? Excellent. Harry Potter people. Uh, James Bond people, yeah, Avenger people, yeah, yeah, so those series of books and movies, they're all similar, and there are other ones like it, um, but they, they sort of build on each other, there's a lot of different characters and twists and turns and storylines and, 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 and things to keep up with, and, and they're still making most of these, these, these characters and, and these uh, series, James Bond, the books were written in the 50s. First movie came out in the 60s. Uh, Star Wars people, that started in the 70s, 1977. Episode 4 comes out. Uh, and they're still making those movies uh, right up until today. Harry Potter books are uh, started in the late 90s. Movies started in the early 2000s. Uh, Avengers started in 2008. And they're still making, there's 90 million of Avenger movies now, if you wanted a total for how many they've done. And they just keep making more and more of the Avenger series and uh, most of these other series. But what happens now, because they're really popular and, and they've made so many of them, when a new one comes out, and maybe somebody's asked you this, or maybe you've asked this question, it gets a lot of promotion, a lot of publicity. This is going to be incredible. Everybody needs to go see it. But somebody will ask the question, if I haven't seen the first ones, will I know what's going on in the current one? Right? That, that happens with all of these movies. Somebody, somebody who hasn't been keeping up, they weren't really that interested, but the publicity is getting the best of them. And so they'll ask somebody who's seen all of them or most of them, okay, if I go, will it make any sense? Am I going to be lost the whole time? I'm going to try to figure out who's, who's this and what's going on. And usually the answer is, yes, you will be able to enjoy the movie and you'll know what's going on. You probably won't know how everything in this movie connects to all the other movies. There'll be some things you'll miss and some lines that, that you won't know are important or some characters that do interesting things, and you don't know that. But the, the great thing is you won't know it, but you won't know that you don't know it, right? Because you didn't see the other ones. You won't know that that was actually important or connected some way because you didn't see the other one. So go see it and enjoy it. And, and, and then what sometimes happens is... People will go see the new greatest movie, and they'll really love it, and so their next thought is, well, I want to catch up with all of the others, right? So thanks to streaming, you can do that. You can just binge all weekend or all month or whatever it takes, and you can get all caught up with all of the previous episodes. I did this recently. Uh, with Star Wars, uh, I, I saw the originals, uh, 1977, uh, New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Um, I, I saw, though, I was alive, I'm old, I was alive, I actually saw them in a movie theater. Uh, and, and then I've seen the most recent ones, like, like this new crop that's come out over the last five or six or seven years or whatever. But, but I had never watched episodes one, two, and three. 
uh, at least not all the way through. Sometimes they were playing, you know, over Christmas. They were in the background. Somebody was, had, it, had it turned off. I, I never watched episodes one, two, and three all the way through. And I know that there are people who have really strong opinions about episodes one, two, and three. And then there are pe- people who have really strong opinions about all of Star Wars and any movie that's made and any character they introduce. I am not one of those people. I, I have a life. And um, so I, this is just entertainment to me. But uh, thanks to Disney Plus, we pulled up episodes one, two, and three. And over the course of a few weeks, I, I made it all the way through episodes one, two, and three. And like always, when you go back and watch older movies, it's, it's always kind of comical choices they made in the way it was filmed and special effects then versus special effects now. But by doing that, I understood some of the things that were going on in the newer ones. Like, oh, that character came from that place and that person's connected to, and that's how they got those things. And so, like, light bulbs started going off and it started piecing things together. That's what happens when you get the, the grand arc of the story. You know, and now that I see the big arc of completely made-up, fake story, it, it, it makes better sense. The Bible can be a little bit like that. Uh, we, we tend to know episodes of the Bible independently. We know certain stories of the Bible really, really well. Uh, we know certain characters of the Bible. Uh, we know certain verses of the Bible. And, and let me be clear, everything about the Bible is valuable. If you know one story, great, that's a valuable story. There's lots to learn from that one story. Every chapter is valuable. Every verse is valuable. Any piece or part of the Bible that you might read on any given day is incredibly valuable. But sometimes we read pieces and parts and study pieces and parts, and we don't think about how did we get to that piece and where does the story go after that piece. What's the grand arc, right? David and Goliath is a wonderful story. You, most of you probably know it. You've heard it a bunch of different times. It's great characters. It's great drama. It teaches us great things about God and, and about what God was doing at the time. But, but there are larger questions like, well, why do we have a king that didn't want to fight? What, what was that about? How do we get this king? How, do, how, how was there a kingdom started in the first? Why are we mad at the Philistines? Why were they our enemies? Why did anybody have to go fight them? What was, the, what was the whole deal about that? And then what happened afterwards? There's a dead giant, and now what, what happens after that? It, it can be beneficial. I think it is beneficial to go back and try to get a, a big picture story of what God was trying to do in the Bible. Now, part of the problem with this in the Bible is that the Bible's not given to us in chronological order. It doesn't start with the very first story. Well, actually, it does start with the very first story. But from there, it doesn't necessarily go in a linear chronological fashion. The Bible's not arranged that way. So we have some books of the Bible, and that, that story takes place in the middle of another book of the Bible, but you would never know that if you just read that story. And, and then we have some books of the Bible that tell the same history that another book tells from a different perspective. And some books 
overlay each other and, and build on each other, but, but they're not necessarily chronological as we think of time. This happened first and second and third. And so we, we read stories sort of out of time frame and out of context. So that makes it difficult. It's not like binge-watching Star Wars. You don't go to episode one and just, then just progress through when you're reading the Bible. So what I want to do over the next nine weeks is I want to try to construct for us the major movements of the Bible. What were the major time frames and what all was happening in that time frame? Now, obviously, we can't tell every story in the Bible or every story in every time frame. That would take much longer than nine weeks to do. But I'm going to try to give you some parameters and say all of this was happening during this period, and here's the big idea, here's the big takeaway from that season of the Bible, that section or that time period of the Bible. Um, hopefully, what this will do is to give you a framework so that as you're studying the Bible, you'll be able to put things in the right spot and understand what's the bigger thing that God was trying trying to accomplish as he was doing that. The other thing we're, we're trying to do is to ask, all right, so what? Right? That's always a good question to ask about anything. So what? Why does this matter? Why does it matter that these things took place during that particular time or during, in that particular country? Why is this important to me when I get up and go to work tomorrow? Or why is this important for my marriage? Or why is this important for what I do today? Before we dive into episode one, to the beginning, um, I, I want to make sure you understand something about the Bible, and it's this. The Bible that, that we study, that we have, the Bible is unique among religious books in how it's put together. And I don't mean the order. The order is unique. Um, the, the Old Testament especially is organized more according to literary style than chronology. So you have Groups of similar books all together, not chronological. I'm not talking about that construction. Uh, I, I mean even bigger picture than that. The Bible is the, the one religious book that was written over thousands of years of time. Right? We know that the Bible is one book made up of 66 books. And those 66 books were written by more than 40 authors. Most of whom didn't even know each other. They, they didn't have an organizational meeting right, where they all sat around the table and said, okay, Moses, you're going to write this part, and uh, David, you're going to write these things. Just make sure your things go with his things. And Paul, you're going to write some stuff about what Moses said, but just make sure that you and Moses talk that out and you get on the same page. But They didn't have any sort of organizational meeting. Everybody wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit over thousands of years using different languages. They didn't even all speak the same language. They weren't from the same place or the same culture. And yet, the Bible that we have, written over thousands of years by 40-plus authors, three different languages, has one dominant overarching message. I mean, you think of the Quran. The Quran was written by one person who lived in one culture, lived at one time, wrote the whole thing. The Book of Mormon, same thing, written by one person, lived at one time, one culture, wrote the whole thing. The, the Bible is unique in that we have multiple authors over thousands of years, and yet their message is consistent 
over the whole story. Now, in episode one of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse one, the Bible begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So, the story begins with God. That's the start of the story. The God who has eternally existed, which we don't have a category for that in our brain, right? Our brain can't fully understand what it means to have always existed, to be self-existent. Nobody brought God into being. There, there wasn't some uh, big boom that produced God. God has always been. He's self-existing. And God is the first person, the first being that appears on the pages of Scripture. And what we learn from Genesis 1 is everything begins with God. Everything. Everything starts from God. Everything comes from God. Nothing is that did not come from God. Nothing happened. Nothing came into existence outside of God. Everything begins with God. And there's other things in chapter 1 to learn and study. And it's a great chapter. But essentially, Genesis chapter 1 says, everything starts with God. Everything came from God. God separates light and darkness, sun, moon, and stars. He he, he creates animals in the water that swim and animals on the land that walk and crawl. He creates vegetation. He speaks all of this into existence. He is the originator. Everything begins with God. Now, what we're going to see is the tension that humans have is trying to solve the question throughout their life, Am I going to agree that everything begins with God, or am I going to live as if everything begins with me? Those are the two perspectives that we all live out of. We're going to live our day, our relationships, our life out of one of those two perspectives. Everything begins with God. God is first, or everything begins with me. I'm first. And what I want and what I feel and what I desire is going to be first or everything begins with God and he gets to be first. The thing about being the creator, the originator, is that the creator owns the creation, has authority over the creation. And the creator knows best how the creation is to live or to operate or is to be put together. The creator gets to say how you are to live if he created you. He gives the instructions for how best to live out a life that will ultimately be fulfilling, how you best work. The creator knows how the creation is designed and how the creation is supposed to work. Now, this will be shocking for some of you, but this is why we get instruction manuals when we purchase things at the store, right? Some of you have never consulted an instruction manual in your whole life, right? But here's what an instruction manual is. Instruction manual manual is someone designed how this piece of furniture, this appliance, this lawnmower is supposed to go together, 
They designed all of the parts. They know how each part fits with the other part to make a whole. They know how best this is designed. And then they give you a little booklet. And they say, look, if you don't want to get to the end of this project with five extra screws, follow these pages. If you don't want to get to the end of this project and the whole thing is tilted this way ever so slightly, follow these instructions because this is how it goes together best. This is how it works. But if you don't want to get to the end of the project and two pieces are on upside down and you have to take the whole thing apart and flip those two around and you've got one thing that you don't even know where it goes when you get to the end. Or you have one that didn't quite fit, and so you took a hammer and you smashed it in to make it fit. Now there's a big old hole on the side. If you want to get to the end of the project and this actually look and work the way it was designed, follow this. If you're the creator, you get to do that. Now God's the creator. He's the designer of all that is of us. And God has said I created you, designed you. I know best how you're going to work. Read the instruction manual. Listen to what I've said. Live the way I'm asking you to live because I want what's best for you. Here's the other thing about the God that we meet in Genesis chapter 1. When we first meet God, He's not just the creator, but he's bringing order and beauty out of chaos and darkness. When the Bible opens, there's darkness and deep waters. This was, this was the Hebrew writer's way of saying it was just this whole chaotic mystery. It was deep and dark, and, and, and I don't even know what was going on. It was this sort of chaotic mess, and, but the Spirit of God was there hovering over the waters, and later books tell us Jesus is present. He's active in this creating, designing process, and throughout Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we find God bringing order and beauty out of darkness and mystery and chaos. Design. He, he's putting everything the way it should be, how it works best. And he takes delight in that. As things are put as they should be, God steps back and goes, that's good. That's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's good. That's, that works the way it's designed to work. That's good. It's good. It's good. He creates humans. It's good. It's good. Everything's the way it's supposed to be. How many of you like to have a neat, tidy, organized home, car, office. I didn't say you had one. I said, how many of you like that? You like it when everything is in its place. and or You like it more when somebody else comes in and cleans it for you. But don't we all like it when everything is ordered and in its place and the way it should be? There's sort of a fresh start that comes with that, right? Everything's where it's supposed to be. It's fresh start. We're starting new. This is what God's doing in Genesis 1. Everything's as it should be. It's the way it's designed, and it's good. It's beautiful. It's beauty out of chaos and beauty out of darkness. Everything is the way it should be. God creates humans. It's good. God's put, God puts humans in relationship. It's good. As a part of his design, God gives humans autonomy, choice. 
You, you can choose. You can choose yes or no, right or left. God gives as a part of His creation not only the ability to choose, but He gives them a choice right at the beginning of the story. He's going to give us the ability to choose. I'm going to give you a choice, and here's the choice. I have designed you, created you to run in relationship with me, perfect relationship, perfect obedience to me because I know how you work best. I know what's best for you, but I'm going to give you the choice of all these trees. You can have the fruit from any of them. You can eat from any of them. There's one. Out of all of these, there's just one. There's, there's one you're not supposed to eat from. There's a boundary. There's a line. Just one. Anything else you want, just one. You get the choice. And immediately a tension arose in the human heart. Right? A, a, the tension of being told no. We still feel that tension, right? We still feel the tension of the boundary, the tension of the line. We don't ever want to step over the line until we know there's a line, right? But if you tell me there's a line, I think I'll step over the line, right? You, you ever see a do not touch wet paint sign? It's the first thing you do. Hmm, let me see. I'm not sure. Every time I, th I think of this concept, I, I think of a story I read many years ago. Um, built a new hotel on the edge of the water. And as they were nearing the end of construction, they were concerned, because it was so close to the water, they were concerned that people would fish off of their balconies and that people would cast from the upper floors and the weight that they put on their fishing line would go out, but it would swing back down and it would crack the glass doors of the lower floors that went out onto their balcony. So before they open the hotel, they posted signs everywhere. Please do not fish from the balconies. Please do not fish from the balconies. Guess what everybody did? They fished from the balconies. And they ended up repairing all of these sliding glass doors until they got smart and took the signs down. And nobody fished from the balcony. Because nobody ever thought of it until they were told not to. This is, this, is, this is the human heart, right? We feel that tension of, if you tell me no, I want to try it. If you draw a line, I want to see what it's like on the other side. If you give me a boundary, I want to push through it and see what happens. This is the tension that we meet at the beginning of the story of the Bible. Because what we find in the early story is that we're not alone on this earth. We're not alone in this universe. There is an evil presence. There is an evil one whose whole objective is to get us to step over the line. His whole objective is to push us towards temptation and push us across boundaries and push us to say yes where God has said no so that, so that we no longer reflect the goodness and glory of our Creator because we violated His commands. This evil one is constantly pushing us in that direction. This is how the first one happened, Genesis chapter 3. 
Now the servant, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Like right from the beginning, there's the tension. There's a tension about who we're going to listen to. We can frame the tension this way. We're going to live between the tension of in the beginning God created versus right now I want. That's the tension we live in. In the beginning, God created. He gets to decide. He knows what's best for me. He, he knows where the line should be drawn. In the beginning, God created versus, yeah, but right now, what I really want is. Right now, what I really feel is. Right now, what I really desire is. And that wasn't just true of the first story. It's true of all of our stories. We deal with that ongoing, in the beginning God created. He should get to say. He should be in charge. But right now, I really want this. And humanity has wrestled in that tension forever and ever and ever. Since the very beginning of time. Knowing what God said, but feeling what I want. The very first humans gave in to what they wanted. And the way we rationalize that, the the thought process that that Adam and Eve went through is similar to the thought process that we go through. We begin to doubt what God said. That's one of the things we do in this tension. We doubt what God... Did God really say? Is that what He really meant? I mean, it's a really old book. Did they know what we would be living in now? Did that really cross into our culture? Is that what he meant? Is that what we've just decided he meant? We have all of these ways of rationalizing what God said in the same way that Adam and Eve rationalized what God said. Or or we think God is holding out on us. We think, well, God drew the line here, but on the other side of that line is really good stuff. And if I could just have that, my life would be better. God's keeping something from me. I see a lot of people who are doing that, and they love it, and it looks great. I want to do that. We think we know better than God is another thing. We think we know better. It's an old book. God's far away. I don't know. I think in this instant, God would understand. I don't think there'll be consequences, right? We doubt the consequences. That's another thing that we do. I think I'll get away with it. Nobody will know. It's not that big of a deal. We have all of these ways of rationalizing away the tension that we feel. Rather than submitting to the God that created us, we submit to what we feel right now. And let's be honest. At times, it appears there aren't consequences, There aren't physical consequences sometimes. There aren't relational consequences sometimes. But there's spiritual consequences. The relationship between us and our Creator was broken in Genesis chapter 3. Broken in a way that we couldn't fix. The consequences for Adam and Eve, as you probably know, is they had to leave the garden where everything was as it should be. 
they moved out into a world where everything was now broken. Everything was harder. Tension was easier to come by. Conflict arose. Relational conflict arose because Adam and Eve started blaming each other. The world was a harsher place that they stepped into. And, And if you think of the story objectively, you would think that Adam and Eve would tell this to their kids, right? You would think after that one mistake and the costly consequences, Adam and Eve would have made sure that their kids understood, look, you got to obey God. We didn't. We messed some things up. I'm telling you, you need to obey God. And you would think that next generation would have gone, I don't want to do what mom and dad did. I don't want to make the same mistakes they made. And yet you read about their kids. One son murders another son in Adam and Eve's family. You get to Genesis 5 and there's hundreds of years go by. And when we spill out on the other side, the world is a wreck. Like generation after generation has continued to disobey God to the point that Genesis 6, 5 says every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. There had been this almost compounding effect, this multiplication, generation after generation. It just got worse. No matter what the consequences have been, it just got worse. We were mired in this cycle of sin and disobedience. So God steps in in Genesis 6 and sends a flood. He rescues one family in the ark, saves them from judgment. The rest of the world is destroyed. And now, surely you think, okay, after that, everybody gets it, right? After that, everybody's going to follow God and honor God. Nobody's disobeying God after that happens. And within a very short period of time, after coming out of the ark, conflict returns to Noah's family. Violence escalates in the world disobedience, multiple. We're right back in the same cycle, post-flood, that we were pre-flood as people continue to disobey. Genesis chapter 11, the descendants of Noah, they all gather together, and the Bible says they want to make a name for themselves. They've forgotten about God. They want to make a name for themselves. We want everybody to know us. They start building this huge tower. Some of you know the story. God disrupts them, sends them all in different directions, but not not before Babylon, a a country that becomes a great enemy of God and His people, a, a center of pagan worship, not before that culture gets formed. And you read after Genesis chapter 11 and all the way through the Bible, and what you find is generation after generation, there's this same disobedience to God. There's there's this same rejection of God's rule. There is this willingness to believe that my Creator does not know what's best for me, so I'm going to do it my way, generation after generation. And every once in a while, we swerve into someone that looks like they're going to obey God, but then we dig into their story and realize that didn't hold up very well either. They disobeyed. They disobeyed. Even some of them wanted to live rightly, and it This disobedience cycle just continued to pull us under. Think about the world we live in today. I mean, you don't have to go back to the Bible. right? Look, the world we live in today, turn on the news, scroll through social media. Violence and brokenness and death and disobedience and injustice 
again and again and again. No one has been able to break that cycle. No one has been able to interrupt that cycle. And yeah, there's some people that seem to get it a little better, closer than other people. But no one is immune to this cycle of disobedience. Generation after generation, year after year. What the Bible tells us is, by giving us all of these examples, the Bible says this was not going to get fixed if it's left up to humans. We were never going to fix this issue of disobedience and brokenness and separation from our Creator. And the Bible gives us multiple examples over many generations of people who tried to fix it. It didn't get fixed. They tried to obey. They couldn't obey. Which is why God, at the beginning of all of this brokenness and disobedience, God had already planned the answer. Genesis 3, the same chapter where Adam and Eve disobeyed. This is verse 15. As God is talking to the evil one, he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Someone is is coming. At some point, it's going to break this cycle. They're going to interrupt this cycle of sin and disobedience. And, and that person's going to get wounded too. That person's going to pay a price. They're going to suffer. But this cycle of disobedience is not going to go on forever and ever and ever. God is going to make all that is wrong right. And from the beginning of the story, that is the mission that God is on. The mission of God throughout the Bible and all the way up until our time is to right what was wronged by sin and disobedience. To put things back to the way they should be. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think to ourselves, well, I'm better than they were. I didn't do that. Those were terrible people in the Bible. Because in the Bible, you find every sin imaginable, right? If you've never read it, it, I'm just telling you, every sin, even a couple that you would not have imagined until you read them in the Bible and went, wow, they really did that. I would have never thought of that. Every sin, all throughout the Bible. And sometimes we read the Bible and go, well, I wouldn't have done that. I'm not that bad. But the truth is, if we pried open your life and your thoughts and your relationships, and your past, just like if you pried all of that open with me, you would find the same darkness and disobedience and brokenness and sin in every single person that has ever lived. You and I are incapable of righting what has been wronged. So God says in Genesis 3, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to make right what has been wrong." And he doesn't give any more information in the beginning of the Bible. Who that's going to be, when that person is going to come. But the rest of the Bible is this movement toward that happening. And then ultimately, all things being made right. 
See, we not only suffer because of the brokenness of our sin, the world is suffering. Creation is, is broken. Disasters and viruses and diseases. All that is wrong in our world is the overflow of our rejection of the Creator and what that did to us and what that did to our world. The Bible is the story of a God who wants to put all that right again. Put everything the way it should be. Now, unless you believe, unless you agree that this brokenness is a big deal, is infinitely consequential, that our separation from God, the potential of meeting the judgment of God, unless you believe that is a really big deal, the rest of the Bible is not going to make much sense to you. It's just not. There's some good stories. There's some moral lessons. There's some good advice. But unless you believe that Our relationship with our Creator has been broken and needs to be restored. And it really matters for this life and all of eternity. Then you're going to struggle with where the story goes from here. Because God begins to try to give us an example of how things are going to be made right. And He does it over thousands of years. Trying to help us get the picture. This is what I'm going to do. This is what it's going to mean. This is how it's going to work. This is how you can be a part of it. The Bible is just story after story of how God is going to fix our brokenness. And the glorious news of the Bible is that He does. He does win where you and I can't win. He does restore us. As we met him in Genesis chapter 1, the God who brings beauty and order out of chaos and darkness, he's still doing that. He's still taking lives that are broken and hurting and painful and dark and chaotic and bringing order. He's still making those lives the way they ought to be. So as we come to this story, whatever Whatever your story is and whatever my story is, whatever your past is, whatever your present is, whatever chaos and hurt and brokenness and sin and disobedience is in any of our stories, the God of Genesis 1 is the God of today who will bring order and beauty. God is still making all things new. God is still offering grace and forgiveness and love and mercy, and new beginnings to any person that will come to Him, including you, including me. Let's pray. God, thank You for not just giving us a collection of stories, but for giving us one big story, a big story of Your grace and mercy and and beauty and creativity and, and setting all things the way they should be. But a story of our rejection of that. Our disobedience, our walk away from that. And then the story of how you would bring us back.
how you would erase our past and forgive our sin and give us life in a fulfilling way on this earth and eternal life when we die. And all the little stories just keep pointing to that story that somebody's going to come who would be crushed in our place for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could live a different life. We could live a new life. Thank you for the confidence we have in you as our creator. We're going to be faced this week with that tension. The tension of in the beginning God created and right now I want. Remind us that you know what's best for us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's worship together.